Welcome to the first episode of the Practical EdTech Podcast. This is a podcast based on my weekly YouTube live sessions in which I answer questions from readers and viewers and now listeners like you. This is the audio of that YouTube live broadcast. So if you hear me mention a chat feature, there's no chat feature in the podcast. That happens on the YouTube live stream. And any links that I mention are in the description of this podcast episode. If you have any questions you'd like me to answer in an upcoming episode, send me an email, richard at burn.media. That's B-Y-R-N-E. Or simply submit them through freetechforteachers.com or practicaledtech.com. And I hope you enjoy this first episode. And any feedback, again, feel free to just send me an email. Well, good morning, everyone. And thanks for tuning in for this week's edition of Practical EdTech Live. It has been uh, about three months since I did the last one of these. Did this throughout the school year last year. And since the new school year is coming up, I thought I'd start it up again, this time with a little bit of a twist. Not only am I going to answer questions from readers and viewers like you, uh, (laughs) I'm also going to give you a little rundown of some cool things that you might have missed in the last week or so in the world of educational technology. Now, if you have something you think is cool that you want to share, feel free to put it right there in the chat in the YouTube live stream. Uh, Or if you have a question for me, again, go ahead and put it right there. Uh, You may have noticed that in the chat, I've actually put in a link to a Google Doc that outlines what I'm about to share with you. So some cool things that you might have missed in the last week in the world of educational technology. First up, Google made a bunch of product announcements this week. I mean, a bunch. It's like every day they had something new. And so let's start right at the top with probably the biggest news of all is that Google seems to be taking on Turnitin and services like that because they are launching an originality report or an originality checker that you can use in Google Classroom and assignments. Now, this is a beta feature. So you're G Suite for Education domain administrator needs to apply to put your school into the beta test for this, uh, but you can sign up, or you, I should say you can have your administrator sign up. The originality reports will do a check against Google's index of millions of web pages and books for pieces of students' work that have possibly been plagiarized, either intentionally or accidentally. The cool thing about it is that students will be able to submit their work or check their work before they turn it into you for a grade. So a student can actually run the originality report themselves and you can run the originality report as well. So that's kind of a neat thing. Google says they're doing it to help students turn in their best work. So that's kind of cool. Uh, along the same lines, uh, you, I just said Google Assignments. This is a new companion that you can have added to your LMS as a new Google product. It's a beta product. Again, your school will have to apply for access to it. Uh, 
uh, but it's a companion to your LM, to your LMS. So if you're using something like um, you know PowerSchool, that sort of thing, uh, you can apply to use the collaboration features of Google Classroom basically with your LMS. I'm probably not doing the best job of describing that, but I have a link there within the link that I just shared where you can read all about it. A uh, couple other handy little things, not not groundbreaking, but you can now make shortcuts in Google Drive. There's new fonts available in Google Docs and Slides, and Jamboard has some updated menus to make it a little bit easier. And last but not least, uh, Google did release an update to the Socratic app for iOS. Now, the Socratic app, if you're not familiar with it, is an app that lets do, I don't know why I'm holding it up like this, because uh, I can't really show you it. Uh, the Socratic app lets students get help with difficult questions by simply taking a picture of the question. Now, the obvious use for this might be math, right? Using this in a math class, but it will work with other questions as well, just written text questions. It will work that. And it doesn't necessarily answer the question for the student. It more directs them to places to get the information. So think of it kind of as a glorified Google search uh, is really what it is. Uh, and I'm going to make a video about how it works later today so you can check that out. All right, a couple other quick cool things that you might have missed this week. Uh, Unsplash, which is one of, the, one of my favorite places to find public domain pictures, has a collection called Unsplash for Education. And within that collection... There are 10 sub-collections of pictures designed for use in education. Uh, shout out to my buddy Rushton Hurley at Next Vista for Learning for that little tip. Uh, check out Rushton's newsletter. You can sign up for it at Next Vista for Learning. Comes out once a month. He always has some cool little things in it. Uh, this month's newsletter actually includes a little uh, collection of Google documents and videos designed to help students learn the qualities that should be inside of an educational video. Uh, so it's a nice little series. Check it out. Uh, check it out at nextvista4learning.org, uh, nextvista4learning. Next right. uh, Seesaw has updated their Chrome extension for annotating web pages. Kind of cool. Uh, not only can students draw and highlight on the web page, they can also add an audio note to the pages that they save. And the last thing, the last cool thing, uh, Post-it has had an iOS app for years that you could use to scan a collection of Post-it notes that are on your wall or on your desk and digitize them quickly and then sort them out. They now have an Android version of the same app, kind of cool. Uh, and also Post-it notes are on sale on Amazon uh, for the next couple of weeks. If you use the code 10OFFCOLLEGE, you can get a discount on post-it notes if you're a post-it note user. All right. All right. So questions from readers like you, if you have a question. Uh, again, if you have a question right now and you're here in the live session, put it right there in that chat. I'll answer it. Otherwise, uh, here's some questions that I've gotten from readers in the last week. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, okay. First one came from Laura. And it, she said, she sent me two questions. Uh, what's a good alternative to today's meet? Answer to that one is a service called Yo Teach. 
uh, Yotich is a direct replacement for today's meat. It's a great little back channel tool. Uh, I'll put the link here in the chat for anyone who's here in the live session or watching back, watching the live session back later, uh, watching the recording later, I should say. Uh, the cool thing about YoTeach is that not only is it a back channel tool, students can submit pictures and drawings in that back channel as well. So check it out, YoTeach, uh, developed by some people at Hong Kong Polytechnic. Um, and the second question was, I was recommended to use Satori for digital portfolios for my students this year. Do you have any experience with the tool or similar use cases? Um, so I haven't used Satori for digital portfolios. I've used it for making multimedia timelines. And you can it's great for making multimedia timelines because you can add questions and you can actually add a quiz question into, into that. Uh, as a digital portfolio tool, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, I just have never used it as a digital portfolio tool. Uh, the portfolio tool that I use more than any other is Seesaw, uh, seesaw.me. The other ways that I've made digital portfolios is using Google Sites uh, in a G Suite for education domain. I haven't seen just dumb things in that. Um, that's the kind of go-to ones, but I'm sure Satori is great for that as well. Um, okay, so a question from Christine. Uh, I'm looking for an analog clock that I can use on my daily Google slide agenda for my kids. Any ideas? Most of what I'm seeing is digital which is hard to show a countdown and analog clocks or screen savers or something to pin on a toolbar. Um, so this is a tough one. And I didn't have a quick answer for Christine. You can do this in PowerPoint. Uh, you can add an analog clock to a slide in PowerPoint. In fact, I uh, shared a video on how to do that uh, just last night in response to Christine's question. And I'll put the directions for that live chat. Okay. So there's direct. Uh, but I haven't found a good way to do it in Google Slides. Um, but I'm working on that. So look for a tutorial on that coming up. Uh, it can be done in PowerPoint. My initial thought was maybe I could export from PowerPoint and put it into Google Slides, but it didn't quite work that didn't quite work the way I thought it would. So uh, gonna try to gonna try to work on that for Christine. Uh, question from Brad. Brad wrote to me, Brad is very active in our daughter's PTO and is, and is such, uh, she's on the school board, on the board. Okay. Question is, the PTO regularly sends out newsletters via email, but due to a lack of past organization, many parents of students who have graduated continue to get these emails. The PTO uses a Gmail account. Is there any way to add an unsubscribe link or button to the signature? Uh, <laughs> and Brad goes on saying, Con consulting the almighty Google has shown me there are all sorts of companies who offer this, uh, but the only thing I can find relating to this specifically for Gmail is to create a linked Google form and copy and paste from the spreadsheet to the mail list. So Brad, yes, what you have found out is that Gmail is not designed for mass mailings. In fact, I'm surprised that your PTO's mailing list hasn't gotten flagged as spam, and probably, probably it has actually been flagged as spam by some people. Uh, Gmail is not designed for doing mass mailings of uh, you know, hundreds of people. You might get away with 100 people, but more than that, you're probably going to get flagged for spamming. 
So uh, you can't really add an unsubscribe link to a Gmail because you, it's not a mailing list per se. My recommendation, the tool that I use for managing my mailing list is a tool called ConvertKit. Uh, you'll find it at convertkit.com. They have all kinds of pricing structures based on how many people you're sending the emails to. Uh, I've also used FeedBlitz in the past, feedblitz.com. Uh, again, has varying pricing structures based on how many people you're emailing to. Some of the benefits of that now for a smaller mailing list, you might be only spending $7 a month or something like that, $7 to $10 a month for a smaller mailing list. The benefit of using a tool like ConvertKit or FeedBlitz or any similar tool. So you will have that unsubscribe link, but you'll also have features for things like tracking who has opened the email and automatically resending it to people who haven't opened it. Uh, so let's say for the case of your PTO, if your PTO is doing a fundraising effort or your PTO is hosting an event, open house night, something like that, and you want to make sure that the email gets to enough people, gets to all the people, maybe you send it out on Monday and then you send it out again on Wednesday to the people who didn't open, who haven't opened it yet. So that's some of the things you can benefit for just spending seven to $10 a month with one of those, um, one of those mailing list services. Okay. Scott sent me a question. Okay. Okay. So Scott has asked me, um, what do you suggest as the best way app program to combine several short YouTube videos into one new merged video? Uh, the YouTube I have on my computer doesn't have an, that option in editor. I can just blur, add music, or trim. Yeah. So Scott, I'm with you. The old version of YouTube's video editor did let you merge your own video clips together. Uh, and there used to be a service called Drag On Tape that would let you merge clips together. Um, fortunately, neither of those services exist anymore. So if you wanna combine your own video clips, and to be clear, I'm only talking about combining your own clips, the clips that you own that you've posted to YouTube. There are ways to do this with videos that you don't own, but all of those violate YouTube's terms of service. So talking about the videos that you own yourself, you, the clips you've recorded, you've made yourself. If you wanna combine them, the way that I would do it is just get all those clips as MP4 files, dump them into iMovie and just put them together. Uh, or if you're not an iMovie user, you can use WeVideo and WeVideo.com. You can combine them all and make one new video out of it. All right, uh, another question that came in. This one came from Eric regarding my EdTech Fitness Challenge. Uh, shameless commerce division of my life, right? There's a t-shirt. Uh, so EdTech Fitness is a little website slash mailing list that I started back in January. Uh, actually, yeah, just, be just before the new year when I decided that I was about 35 pounds overweight and I wanted to get back in shape and it just improved my overall health and wellness. So I started this EdTech Fitness to be uh, to make myself accountable more than anything else, really. And now like 300 people have joined in on it with me. So kudos for that. Uh, so anyway, every week I send out a new little challenge. This week's challenge was to stay hydrated throughout the week, to drink water instead of coffee, although it's morning, so I'm still drinking my coffee. Uh, Eric said, thanks for this week's challenge. 
it reminded me of Outside's Gallon Challenge. Have you tried it? And actually, I hadn't. So I had to look it up. Uh, had to look up what the Gallon Challenge was. And it was to drink a gallon of water a day. Whew. That's a lot of water. I drink a lot of seltzer throughout the day. Uh, I probably go through like six or seven cans of this in a day. Yeah. Black cherry. Uh, I like black cherry and orange. Send more seltzer. Uh, I haven't tried it, but it sounds sounds interesting. Uh, check it out if you want to. Uh, I have a link here in the document that I've shared. and have a link to the challenge itself. Yeah, kind of cool. Um, Stay hydrated, people. Makes your brain feel better. Makes you more flexible. It's good for you. Uh, helps your digestion as well. Okay. All right. Uh, question from Isabel, who says, Hello, Richard. I'd like to ask you the following. I would like to create a database about my island, history, geography, places to visit, etc. Sometimes there'll be photos to go along with some text. I'm wondering about a system to choose. What would be the best choice? OneNote or Google Docs? What do you think? So you could do it in OneNote or Google Docs. Um, what I wrote back to Isabel that I recommend doing would be to use a Google Sheet, use Google Spreadsheet, uh, and put create columns in that Google Spreadsheet of history, geography, places to visit, and fill in that information in those columns. Have a column for pictures. Put those pictures in there. Once you do that, once you've made that spreadsheet, you can use GlideApps.com. That's GlideApps.com. GlideApps.com will let you take your Google spreadsheet and turn it into a mobile website. They call it a mobile app. It's not really an app. It's a mobile website. Uh, great little tool. I'm so impressed by GlideApps. It's probably my favorite new thing in 2019. Check that out. That's the way I'd go about it, Isabel. Uh, rather than just doing a document, a document's fine. I would put it into a spreadsheet, turn that spreadsheet into a mobile app. Uh, it might sound complicated, but it really isn't. If you can make a spreadsheet, you can make a mobile-friendly website or a mobile app using Glide Apps. Right. Now we're to the end of the list. The very last question that I got this week. And if you want to Ask me any questions while you're live right now. Okay. Uh, this last question I got came from Julia. Julia says, hi, Richard. I have a bunch of screencast lessons that I posted on YouTube for my students to watch last year. Kudos. Uh, I'm thinking about creating podcasts of my lessons because a lot of my kids ask for that option. My question is, is there a way that I can just take the audio out of the videos to publish it as a podcast? Thanks for any help that you can offer. So yes, there are ways to do this. Um, there are actually a, a few ways to do this. Uh, you can do this in Audacity. Uh, Audacity will let you extract the from your MP4. Okay. So if you've already, if you've already, you've obviously Julia already already recorded these lessons. Uh, just download them from YouTube, or if you still have the original MP4 file. Use Audacity. Audacity is free. It's open source software. You can run it on a Mac. You can run it on a Windows computer. Can't run it on a Chromebook, unfortunately. Uh, but most Chromebooks wouldn't be able to handle the processing of all, all that anyway. Uh, you could use the, you could use GarageBand 
uh, on a Mac, if you're a GarageBand, if you're if you're a Mac user, you can't do it on GarageBand's iPad version, uh, iOS version, uh, but you can do it on a Mac, and you can do this in Wii Video. It's a relatively new feature in Wii Video. You can check it out WeeVideo.com. WeeVideo.com will let you save just the audio from a video. So to do this in Wii Video, you'd have to upload your original to Wii Video. To their video editor and then go to save the project when you save that project select the option that says simply audio only so you're only saving the audio you're not saving the whole video from that uh, your original won't be affected you'll still have your original but those are three methods you could use uh, i would say that we video is probably the simplest of the three uh, audacity will give you the most features the most uh, uh, in terms of, you know, once you've extracted the audio, you can play around with the sound levels and you can do a lot more in Audacity than you can uh, in the other tools. But uh, with the more tools, the steeper the learning curve. So that's that. Um, well, 20 minutes of Richard rambling, talking about all things educational technology. If you have any questions for me, feel free to send me an email, richard at burn.media, and I'm more than happy to answer questions for you. If you are interested in either of the newsletters that I mentioned, the EdTech Fitness newsletter, just go to edtechfitness.com, and you can sign up at the bottom of any one of the blog posts that you see on the page. And if you're interested in Russian Hurley's newsletter, check it out at NextVista for Learning, nextvista.org. Great source of information comes out once per month. All right. So thanks, everyone. Uh, have a great weekend or great week whenever you're listening to this. Thanks for tuning in. See you online sometime soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the Practical EdTech Podcast. As always, if you have any questions for me, send me an email, richard at burn.media, or find me on social media, on Twitter, or on Facebook.